we will not copyright or trademark that. Um, the we do not have the rights to this at all. Please do not sue us. Thank you. Welcome to These Unprecedented Gays, featuring Joe Grinelli and Paul Smith. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and review wherever you stream your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at TUGaysPod and email us at TUGaysPod at Yahoo.com. We hope you enjoy. Hey, 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 all you Tuggets and Tuggets, this is Paul. And this is Joe. And we're these unprecedented gays. We are, aren't we? Yes, we are. And I'm just going to get right into it. Like, we have a special guest in the studio this with us this week. We have Veronica Holyfield back with us. Yep, 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 yep. If you all remember her, she was visiting from Denver and last October or so when we had her on the... Um, on here and she's the one who followed her passion and started doing photography for concerts and stuff so hey veronica hi i wanted to introduce you so you can participate in mouth to mouth The things that are giving us a oh, life right sweet. now, what we're obsessed I with. I love that intro. Like, <laughs> mouth. Because he, like, mouths mouth. it. You should do it. Like, we should ASMR it. Like, mouth to mouth. You have to get closer. Oh, your, like, tongue goes out. Too. <laughs> I bet, like, if you had a lot of saliva, you could, like, hear it. And it's like, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do the, like, I, I don't have nails, but, like, Acrylic sound. <laughs> How that again? You sound like my mom when she's trying to tell me to go grab something. <laughs> go grab that. No, stop <laughs> it. Yeah, that's exactly what she does. So, uh, this segment, Veronica, is where we talk about things that we're obsessed with for the week. Uh, it could be food, it could be a movie, it could be a show, it could be anything you want. Um, so, you want to start? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, so this, I lately, I am obsessed with like Greek pitas. So like, I Is had, that a euphemism? What? Is that a euphemism? That code? Isn't a euphemism like a, like a, this ain't getting the baby no shoes sort of thing? Or like twice over the <laughs> pony or something? I, I don't think that's, I think that's an oh, that's analogy. An, no, or wait, that, aphorisms. What's a euphemism then? It's, it's, you're trying to say something, but it means something Like a double else. entendre? Yes. yes. a mild or indirect word or expression substituted for one considered to be too harsh or blunt or maybe too sexual i don't like is this this the merriam-webster definition i guess so yeah there's an urban dictionary (laughs) um (laughs) somebody guess it's not a euphemism you actually no i legit because like i i have i've been like really bad at buying groceries lately and i'll just end up getting pizza at gelati e piccati um right Spoop, boop. Sponsor us? I don't know. They don't have enough money to sponsor us. Um, <laughs> we don't need that really... much, though. Just give us free pizza. We'll talk to you about it. So, okay. <laughs> Hold on. I'm a pin in it. But, but like, with Gelati Picotti, they have new people that work there. They're twins. Also, listeners, if you are in San Diego, there's this place. It's called Gelati e Picotti in North Park, and they have really good pizza. But they have twins that work there now. Twin boys. And I went there when once. When you say boys, like, are these, like... Young They're men. anywhere from like eighteen to twenty nine. So they're of age, maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would, I would say maybe like twenty four. Twenty four. Twenty three. Okay. Um, but I had been going there like every day. This like whenever I went to see the twins. No, to get pizza. <laughs> and the guy, like the first day that I was a repeat, the guy was like, "Weren't you here yesterday?" And I was like, "Yes." Shut up. Are you judging me? Like, I was like, "I am providing you income. You're welcome." So, but anyway, I. I haven't been grocery shopping. And so the other day I was like, well, like, what can I do that's like cheap? And I tried to do like a pita pizza. Wasn't a good idea. But then I was like, well, I have feta cheese. I have hummus. And then um, I grilled some chicken and I was like, oh, it's actually really easy to do. So I'm kind of like obsessed with pita pockets because oh. it's really simple. I didn't have any tomatoes or lettuce, but like. Did you stuff that pocket? Oh, it's fully stuffed. With your hummus? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to think of some more with, stuff than a Thanksgiving with, turkey. Did you did you fill it with your baba ganoush? 
I do love. I love I a bubble plant. ganoush. <laughs> I love bubble ganoush, like a, a nice bubble ganoush, uh-huh. and a little tahini. <laughs> tahini is my drag name. Oh, <laughs> no, that's tahini. <laughs> All right, so that's what I'm obsessed with, Peter. Greek food in general. Okay, give me shawarma. So, <laughs> is that Greek? I'm very excited because we're going to um, Disneyland. Oh. <laughs> no, we're going to Disneyland, and um, they have the new Avengers Campus. And okay. on Avengers Campus, they have a lot of shawarma um, carts there oh. for you because that's in vet and the in the Avengers because that's where they ended up at the end of the first movie what? was it having shawarma. Wait, I saw that. I don't remember that. Did you watch it all the way through? The Avengers? Like a good Marvel fan is supposed to? I am to? not a good Marvel fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they, they end up eating shawarma because it's brought up in the during the movie. Huh. And they decided to go get it afterwards. I love shawarma. So, so that's my like, obsession. What is your obsession? So I actually have two. Oh, a double yeah, dip, the, if you will. Oh, yes, exactly. So the first one is um, an artist called Rina Sawayama. I want to make sure I got her name right. She is amazing. Um, she does kind of like pop EDM. Like, yeah, I love her. I love her. This picture of her with her hair all the way out. Like she's doing the um, like uh, the Yara Sophia. The Yara Sophia. <laughs> it's amazing. But there's like two songs. One is called Lucid, really good, and the other one is called Excess, amazing. And you can find those both on Summer of Twenty One. Playlist on Spotify. <laughs> if you follow me, I I think I do. Did yeah, I so it'll be on there. The other thing that I'm super obsessed with right now, because I keep trying to tell Andy this is what I want him to get me, is a caftan. <gasps> I want a caftan. Okay, because you know, okay. So where I live in San Diego, we, we have we a house in <laughs> okay, where our studio is located. Yes. <laughs> in lovely San Diego. You don't um, need to type in male captain. <laughs> Captains are unisex. They know no gender, Nick. I mean, when you when you put in male caftan, a lot of them kind of make you look like Jesus. Like <laughs> I'm like, let's be real. But it can I want, be technicolor. <laughs> yeah, I want like a a nice print. You know, but I also want it to be like um, something where I'm going to, on my day off, I could put it on. I yeah. can grab my mimosa, there grab my little out, my little um, speaker, go sit outside on my porch and watch the world go and by. And judge people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I want to be a golden girl. Like, that's where I'm at right now. On the Lanai. Are you going to get the the matching bikini brief bottoms? Or what are we doing underneath? Why am I even wearing any underwear underneath it? Yeah, I was curious about that. I want the the briefs to come through. There's a follow-up question to that. Is it a sheer caftan? Or is it full full coverage? I mean, maybe there's a little sheer moment going on. (laughs) A sheer moment, not a sheer moment. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) cough trout. Cough trout. Snap out of it. (laughs) Because you're dead, dead. I can see a dip print. Oh. <laughs> oh, Chad Michaels would hate us. So would Cher. Sorry, Cher. <laughs> so, oh, so those are the things I'm obsessed with. But we need, okay, like, caftans, that's not something that, like, is it, that's not negotiable. Like, we need to purchase them somewhere. Right, because, and I keep telling Andy, and Andy's like, well, they're really expensive. I'm like, then get off of they, Mr. Turks and go to another website. Yeah, so, like... <laughs> You so know. I listen to the Ross Matthews podcast, and okay. they have like a he special has his own Kraft can or Kraft Co, and it's like by o- Odeo Shakur or something. Okay, and it's a gay business, and I think that it's super cool. But like they're a hundred bucks. That's not bad though, because the one on Mister well, Turks. Is, well, Mister Turks. Mister Turks dot com is like three hundred something. But you can still you can still uh, sponsor us if it, you want. Mister Turk, if you want to clothe us, we will gladly. Do oh a my god! Show. If you want to send us some caftans, uh, please I'll reach out. Anything, uh, anything, <laughs> everything. <laughs> we will model the entire thing. <laughs> model the so, house down boots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm obsessed with. So Veronica, what are you yeah. obsessed with? Well, I was trying to think because I feel like I have a lot of new obsessions. Um, but I would say You're the my obsession. Yeah, yeah. But the one that's currently probably like at the top of the list is house plants. So Ooh, yeah. plant mama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think like I'm through. really coming into my like lesbian adulthood and I really want to like, you know, 
just create an environment that feels like warm and welcoming. And I like I, I'm not going to have children, so I think like pan, plants are like the closest thing that I'm going to get to, like, like taking an care of something, you know, raising it, making it grow big and strong, and but yeah, like, it's become. If you're a lesbian, aren't you supposed to have cats? Well, I'm allergic to cats, so oh, okay. yeah. Got lesbian are you? I but know. you're not allergic to pussy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> equal explicit. <laughs> you can say pussy, right? Can't you? Oh, wow. What is this, a Cardi B song? Could you stop? <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with it. Wap. Or is it wap? Wap. <laughs> I guess it depends on where you're from. Like, kind of like pecan, pecan. <laughs> wap, wap. <laughs> so, all right. So, oh, we decided we wanted to have... Um, Wait, can I interrupt you, though? No, go ahead. One thing I'm also obsessed with is Veronica's dress because it's gorgeous. <gasps> Thank it kind of has a caftan vibe. It, it does. Yes. Yes. It really does, yeah, as we were yes. looking at She's there. gorgeous. Okay, that's it. Okay, like, go ahead. Um, so, I wanted to touch on a subject. It, it is a little bit heavier. So, we we'll will... Make, we'll, we'll make it light. Yeah. So, but... Egg whites. Um, the last time... <laughs> Whisk it up. <laughs> I was like, egg whites, we'll make it light. <laughs> it's a meringue. <laughs> oh, my God. Andy made the best lemon meringue tarts not too long ago. They Wait, were I feel amazing. like... Why did I not see these? Did you post them on Instagram? Yeah, he did. Did I like it? I usually like them. I don't know. I double tap YouTube very quickly. But, like, they were delicious <laughs> and super tart. Was it like, like a like a lemon meringue pie, but in a small? Yes. Okay. Um, so anyway, anyway <laughs> sorry. We'll keep it light. That's what I said. Um, so it, it's something that um, we wanted to talk about, and I think it's very important because within the gay community, it is a huge issue. And um, so when she was here last in October, we had her on and she talked about some of the things that she was doing. And we didn't know this at the time, but she was dealing with an addiction problem, an alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. And now she's on her sober journey. And that's what we wanted to talk to about. So welcome, Veronica. Yeah, thank you and so thank much. you for coming on and willing to be uh, open and, about this and stuff. So, um, so. And I know we've talked because we've known each other for years that we've yeah, talked about this yeah. before. But like how long, because you've been on and off with this journey yeah. a few times. So how long have you in total been on this journey? This time? And, <laughs> in, in the whole. Yeah. So my very first um, 12-step meeting. So I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, the very first meeting I went to, I was 21 years old. And I'm 35 now. So it's been a 14-year journey off and on. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's definitely one of those progressive illnesses that every time I, I pick up a drink, it gets worse and worse. And this – so it was nine months ago almost that I was here recording the podcast. And five days after I got home from my trip here, I was in rehab. So it was definitely like the end of um, a really – long, hard, tough journey that I'm, I'm happy to be on the, the healing end of, I would, I don't think that we ever truly recover. I think it's something that you continue to work at and you can live a a very happy life in recovery. Um, but I, I do think that it's something, you know, that like is the beginning of, of the next part of my life. This is the beginning. (laughs) This is the beginning. (laughs) That's gonna, whatever she says that I'm like, that's what makes you that think was of in, This is now. Okay, but I want, so I don't know if for new listeners, like you guys met how Paul and Veronica? Uh, we met actually at um, MCC, the Metropolitan Peony Church. And what were you doing was, in church? Oh, girl. Were you attending it? I was attending yeah. it. Oh, what, yeah. Like praise Jesus? Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. I didn't know you Praise that place. higher power, whether it's it be a he or that. It's a very queer affirming church. No way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are the pastor is gay and stuff. Oh. Um, in, what? But where? What here part of the Diego. world? Here in San Diego. Oh, here oh. in San Diego. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's over on Mission uh, Bay, and um, we kind of just started talking, and I think we were both in the chorus. Yeah, we were all in the choir together, oh, and then yeah, cool. you you all just took okay. me in, and I've I felt like family. Yeah. Ever since. I mean, How long ago was that? Oh God, ten, like ten years ago. Ten years. Wow. Almost ten years, because yeah. it's like when me and Andy got together. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So y'all known for a little bit yeah. of time. Yeah. Almost and it, a it was, you know, right after I came out was when I started attending. Um, and so to find family so early on was, hmm. I think, um, you know, pivotal to my self-acceptance. But And I find this a very um, a needed topic to discuss because uh, I feel like this issue is 
prevalent within the gay community, but I also think it's because of how we came up. Uh-huh. Um, you know, a lot of when back in the day, gays could only meet at bars yeah. and they would alcohol was always around. And that was the whole thing before the invent of the internet and yeah. chat rooms and stuff like that. That was how you met people. But also because there was so much stigma to it, shame. people and shame mm-hmm. that the only way they could actually talk to other gay people was after yep. being, you know, having a couple On of drinks or and, drugs, alcohol, sex, like right. shame in general. And that is, it's how do you deal with the shame? And it's, right. you turn to whatever advice you need. And, it, and addiction is a huge problem within the gay community. So I feel like uh-huh. it is something that we need to talk about. And it does yeah. still have a stigma even within our own community. And if the more we talk about it, the more we kind of, peel that away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you went into rehab back in October and this, we're still in the middle of a pandemic back then. Yeah. So like, what was that like, like that, not only the decision making and how did you find one that fit you and your needs? Because we're talking about like, not only are you dealing with addiction, but you want to make sure that you're dealing with, you have somebody who can help you with your specific kind, which is your lesbian or gay yeah. and queer. Um, you're queer and it's um, you want them to understand that because that totally. is going to play into how you're going to be helped. Absolutely. Well, and, and alcohol for me for a long time was what I used in order to be okay with myself. And so the idea of being a queer woman without alcohol, like that was terrifying in and of itself, even though, you know, I've been out for 10 years, that was still a way that I, that I kind of made sense of how I fit in the world. Like you're talking about a lot of the, the queer spaces are centered around bars and a lot of the events are centered around alcohol. And, and so it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to leave this substance behind, am I losing my community as well? So I really wanted to make sure that I was finding a place that was not only inclusive, but that really felt like they offered programming that was specific to my needs. Because not only am I losing the substance that that brings me peace, but then I'm also losing the people who, you know, I've built these relationships around. Um, and so that was kind of the first thing that I did is, well, the first thing that I, I wanted to make sure of was that they could take me as soon as possible, because I knew I needed help. And the longer I had to wait and stew, then the more I was worried I was going to change my mind. Because they're in a pandemic, so they're not yeah. taking as yeah, many. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were limiting the number before. of people who could come in. You had to go, whether you were detoxing or not, you had to go into the hospital unit for 48 hours so they could monitor your symptoms. And so it really felt like a prolonged process. So I could find a place that took me within the first three days after I called. And then did your insurance help cover that too or no? They did, yeah. Yeah, wow. they covered a large a large part of it. But I, this is the kind of stuff that like people don't know right. that they have concerns about is, you know, whether or not I can get in and does my insurance help cover totally. it? So did you do Always inpatient? Check. I did do inpatient. That's day inpatient? Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite 30 days. Wait, <laughs> um, yeah, she's going to get into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, this is quite a story. Um, but so I found a place that could take me and I – Ask them, like, what kind of programming do you have specifically for LGBTQ people? Because I need a space where I can openly talk about not only my struggle with my addiction, but my struggle in losing my community Mm -hmm. and my struggle in my, like, accepting my sexuality. And, you know, all of these things that make me who I am. And if I can't be honest and transparent, then I'm not going to get the full benefits of this program. And if I'm worried about what other people think of me, if I'm worried about, you know, if I say my girlfriend or if I say my partner or whatever, like... You know, is this going to be a space that feels safe? So they really talked me through what they offered. um, And I I felt confident in the place that I chose. So then insurance, um, find out, you know, $6,000 out of pocket for a 30-day stay, which is not bad. You know, and I was like, okay, done. Yeah, and luckily I have a very supportive family. So they were willing to offer um, help. And I didn't want to take their help because I was like, this is a problem that like, I've done to myself, you know, that's how I looked at it then is like, this is my problem. I'll go fix it. Um, so they go and drop me off, check me in. And within, you know, after the 48 hour observation, I don't have COVID. So great. Go join the campus. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, when is the LGBTQ support group? You know, like I'm ready, like, let's do this. And they're like, well, you're the only queer person on campus. <sighs> so we oh, have no. that group, but there's nobody else there. So they're like, well, so we you're the do. only, yeah, you are I was the, group. the only, well, and that's the thing, Talk you to know, a mirror. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, I was the only out 
queer person. Yeah. Like, ah. we don't know, obviously, like, what people are really feeling co- comfortable sharing. And, you know, we have a lot of bisexual people in the community that, you know, maybe identify as straight just because it's safer. And there were only nine women in the unit. They had the wow. the, the unit separate. So we had the men's unit and the women's unit. And then they said, you know, for anyone who is um, transgender or non-binary, then they can go to the unit that they feel most comfortable in. So they're very affirming in that mm-hmm. way. Um, but when you're the only person navigating this experience, then it's like, well, can't I really process everything that I need to? So they did have one um, counselor who was gay. And so he would take me on a walk and we would talk about, you know, what's going on in my life. What kind of struggles am I going home to? What are my concerns? What are like some boundaries that I need to set around that really were specific to my needs? And that was like such a great experience with him. Um, But I only had campus experience for seven days because then we were facing the wildfires that happened up in the mountains. Oh. So I went to a treatment center that was, was in Estes Park and we got evacuated. Oh right. I'm so like, I had about oof. five days of really great, you know, therapy and group and all that kind of stuff. And then the next thing I know, we're packing up a day's worth of clothing because that's all we have time for getting in a van and driving down the mountain because it's, like mandatory evacuation. So I have the clothes that I'm wearing and a backpack with like a change of clothes. And they're like, we don't know when we're coming back. We don't know if we're coming back. We don't know if there will be a campus to come back to, but we have a responsibility to make sure that you're safe and we will do our best to maintain programming whenever we get wherever we're going. So we ended up at a hotel in Greeley and the interesting thing is they had a nine person van and there were nine women So they're like, who feels safe enough to drive? Who can get you to Greeley? So they give the keys to one of the women that's in the group. We're all in the van driving down this, you know, we're in the middle of this like traumatic experience. And there's like women in the group, like there's a liquor store, pull over. And there's a, you know, on the way. This is a triggering. Oh, absolutely. And there's no chaperone. It's just a bunch of drunks trying to get to the next place. (laughs) Oh my God. So luckily... You know, as a group, we supported each other through that. And like, you know, the conversation and the camaraderie, it really created this like bonding experience. So we get to the hotel in Greeley and we walk in and there's a bar. Oh, no. That's the first thing you see when you walk into a hotel, right? Is there's the restaurant with the bar and it's like, okay, just don't look. Well, then they had like no way of taking care of us. They didn't know what to do. So they just had us eat dinner in the restaurant. At the bar. <laughs> Great. Were the other people there at this yeah, point? Yeah, so like all the men had arrived. So there was like 50 of us okay. there. And they're like, here's a hotel room key. You're sharing it, you know, with another person. Don't drink anything while you're here. And if you want to check out, like you're welcome to. People can come get you, you know, like you're not required to stay. But we didn't have anybody leave because it was like this experience that we had gone yeah. through. And it's like, this is kind of you know, being thrown into the deep end and like, can I sink or swim? Because I have so many options to drink right now. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I have no tools, right? Like I have not gone through the process. So luckily, I mean, through that, that was kind of crazy. We were at the hotel for a week and a half with two pairs of clothing. (laughs) Oh my God. So then we took, you know, trips to the laundromat. Like, I mean, they really, they did the best that they could. They brought the counselors to where we were. We had our individual sessions. We had our group sessions. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things that I was just like, this is showing me my strength and my resilience because I don't want to leave. Like I want the help that's being offered to me. So I'll do whatever it takes. Well, plus you're being triggered like every single day because like, you're having to deal with COVID pandemic, oh my God. being in a hotel a fire. Yeah. and the fire, you know, even though you're at a, in a different place, you know, you're still worried about everything that's happening. And the accessibility yeah. to alcohol. Yeah. Right totally. There. Yeah. And we have no idea if our campus is okay, that like yeah. everything's blocked off. And so like everything that I had up there that I brought is that, you know, but it's like, okay, long, long term, like I'm here to work on my recovery. I'm here to get sober and learn how to stay sober. I don't care if it's in Estes Park. I don't care if it's in Greeley. I don't care if it's on the moon. Like, I'm here to save my own life because mm-hmm. that's what it's going to take. Um, because I was at a point where I was so desperate. And while I'd gotten sober a couple of times before that 
that moment. I've never had the gift of desperation, as they call it. I was not willing to do whatever it took. Yep, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it. Yeah, drink. yeah. Um, can you talk to us about how bad it had gotten before? Because when you were here in October, we had no idea. Had no idea yeah. I I remember, and I I like we had the podcast next week, and Paul and Andrew were like, I was like, oh, how was Veronica? Did she make it home? And I think they were like, she's in rehab. I was like, what the? Yeah, Beep. yeah. Yeah, I apologize if I cussed because oh, no, this is e. <laughs> it's E for extra. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this last time I, I, I was struggling hard for a little over a year. Um, it started in 2019, so it was definitely not the pandemic, um, but that def- that exacerbated it yeah. because I had more days I was working at home, and so I could hide my drinking. Um, Before everything shut down, I had a girlfriend who was a bartender, and so she was very supportive of the fact that I was drinking. And so it was one of those things that it just it started spiraling really fast, and things that were never acceptable to me became normal. So I started, you know, sneaking alcohol into work because I couldn't get through the day without taking a sip to take that edge off. You know, it was like, okay, five o'clock can't come fast enough. So I'll make it happen at three o'clock and then it'll start happening at noon. And then now that's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I take a swig out of the bottle. And now because I'm drinking so much for so long, I have to hide the tremors in my hands. And so I have to keep drinking in order for that to go away. And then like the, you know, the withdrawal symptoms are just so awful. Like they make you so sick. And I mean, I, I just have never existed in a space where my head was not pounding unless I was drinking. Um, and so it was kind of one of those things that I was able to hide because it was slowly progressing. Um, but it was all day, every day. Um, yeah, I, by the end, I was drinking an entire bottle of vodka a day. And that was, you know, that was normal. I, I didn't know there was no line of like, okay, should I, or shouldn't I drink? It's just, when can I get the next mm-hmm. drink? And you start not caring about anything else or anyone else until you can get that. And then where am I going to get the next one? Because it's like, once I start, I can't stop. And I think, like, I always knew that. I was always a a heavy drinker. I always kind of drank more than the people around me. Um, But it wasn't to the point where it was for a prolonged period of time where I thought it was going to be a problem. I could kind of control it. I could manage it. I could plan my day around it. And then when I didn't really have to plan anymore, then I just stopped. Because it's like, well, you know, nobody's really, I live alone, so nobody's monitoring me. I was even hiding alcohol from myself in my house so that I wouldn't, you know, like, okay, I would always say this is the last one. Like, I'm I'm done. And then I'd go out and I'd smoke a cigarette. And then I'd come back and I'm like, okay, this is the last one. And then I'd go out and smoke another cigarette. And then I'd come back and this is the last one. And it would just go like that all night. And then because in the morning when I wake up so sick, then I had to start drinking right away. Um, so that probably, that particular part of my disease lasted about six months where it was just all day, every day. And, you know, even coming here to have the podcast, I mean, my, my body was shutting down. My brain was mush. I had no idea if anything that I had said during that interview was articulate or, you know, I couldn't even remember what we had talked about, not because I was blackout drunk in that moment, but because I'd just been drinking for so long. And I remember having like a um, one of those spritzers or whatever while I was here. And I was like, oh, it's to calm down the nerves. It's like, no, because my hands wouldn't stop shaking. Like, you know, it's just stuff like that that you learn how to cover up. You learn how mm-hmm. to hide. Um, and because we were all distanced from each other, nobody in my life really knew how bad it had gotten. Oh. All right. So you're back at the hotel and you're trying to get – you know, they're trying to help you with that. So what did that look like? Were they able to give you the assistance like that you would have gotten on the campus? Like, or was it pared down? Was it as? Yeah, it was definitely a struggle up there. Um, they were trying to be mindful of, of the counselors and everybody, because everybody had been evacuated. So people who lived up there, like they didn't know if they were going to have a home to go back to, oh you God. know? Um, so it was really like, it was a balancing act for sure. So I definitely think that some of the things were sacrificed 
in that experience. But then it also gave me a lot of time to do my own work. Um, because some people really latched onto the trauma aspect. And I mean, we can even talk about like some of the reasons why I drank. Like I have a lot of experience with trauma. And so I kind of know how to just turn that off. Like I'll feel that later. Like I'll deal with that, but here I have a job to do. So I've got these homework assignments. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to journal. I'm going to talk to the other people who I feel like are taking this seriously. I'm going to be open and honest with my counselor when I get 30 minutes with her and, you know, three days from now. And like, I'm here to do the work. Um, and I'm not here to judge anybody else's experience, but there were definitely people who just were not prepared, I think, emotionally or mentally to to be there to do the work. So it's, you know, the complaining and it's the infighting, like in the women's group, because there was nine of us who left, there were nine of us and that's it. And so all of our programming was done together. And typically you have people leaving and then you have new people coming that kind of switches up the group dynamic. And it was just like it started, you know, people were bickering and people were like, taking things and you know like not joining group and like all this kind of stuff that's just like oh my gosh this is high school all over again and I'm not getting what I want from the group so at least I can go do my work on my own and that process I think I I learned so much about myself that I didn't even know how to apply it when I got back to the real world because it's like well now I'm going back into my old life into my old routines, into, you know, the place that I worked mm-hmm. with all the same coworkers who drove me crazy, <laughs> you know, and I'm having to show up to family functions with people who I love, but drive me crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I'm dealing with like friend stuff and whatever. Like I wasn't at a point in my alcoholism where I had lost everything. Like I had maintained a life that I was coming back to, but now I didn't have the one thing that gave me you know, that, that your coping mechanism. Yeah. And that was all I had. So it's like, okay, now coming back, I don't think it's safe for me to live alone. So I moved I chose to move into a sober living for three months because I just wanted that extra accountability, you know, and they do the, the um, UA tests every so often and you have chores to do. And I mean, it all felt like, Oh, it's so annoying, but it was really pivotal. And I was so glad that I had the foresight to see that that was something that I was going to need. But that was something that they asked me before I left. Like, what is your plan? And do you think that this is a great idea? So it was still like, I learned a lot there. I learned how to rely on myself, I think, a little bit more than I would have if I'd been sheltered the entire time up at Estes Park. I think it would have been more traumatizing coming back had I not had sort of that real world application. Um, but because of the pandemic, by the time we got back up to campus, we were quarantined. So then we weren't allowed to like mingle with the rest of the campus and we weren't allowed to bring in anybody new. So I was just like, this is not the experience that I want. Like, I don't, I don't want to have a group therapy session that solely talks about the dynamic of the group because now it's gotten so toxic and because we've only been dealing with each other for the last, you know, week and a half of at a hotel and, you know, like, I don't care, Sharon, about exactly, your problems anymore. Exactly. <laughs> it just, yeah, I, I felt ready to just kind of get back into the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I had, you know, a, a great experience for what I could. Um, and I, I don't know if I would say I'd do anything differently. They say that only 70% of people, um, make it past the first 30 days okay. of sobriety before they relapse. Um, and I was like, I will do whatever it takes to be in that 30% who makes it. So I think that that could have happened anywhere. Wait, 70% fail? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 70% of people relapse after mm-hmm. treatment in the first 30 days. Well, don't they say that the road to recovery is built on relapse? Maybe I made that up. It's definitely, I mean, it's something that we <laughs> Maybe accept. Maybe I say it. Yeah. <laughs> now, they, now it's, it's a saying. I, I am not they, them pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's definitely something that we accept because it's, you know, in any model, it's progress, not perfection. So we don't want to look at relapse as an acceptable thing because you don't know if you're going to make it back. Oh, 100%. You know, this illness, it kills people. Like there's a woman that I was up there with who's dead Mm -hmm. because she drank herself to death. Yep. And, you know, how do I make that not me? I don't know. Am I I lucky? Is it because I'm willing to do the work? Is it because of, you know, resources, whatever? Yeah. Like I'm not sure. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's – 
it's not impossible that I would relapse in the future, but I don't know if, you know, I, I would make it through the, the next one. So yeah. I don't want to risk day, it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know this is like a heavy topic yeah. and we're like, you know, and we're Put not an egg whites girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we are trying to laugh and we are trying to make this lighthearted because it, it, it's something that we want to make it a little bit easier to digest, I guess, and talk yeah. about. And a lot of people use humor to yeah. um, deal with trauma and any issues that might be a little bit more difficult. So I, I hope anyone out there listening is not taking offense to how we are dealing with this because this is how we deal with this. Oh, absolutely. And that's not taking anything away from your experience or anybody else's experience out there. It's just how we deal mm-hmm. with it. And, you know, it, it's very funny because I working in different situations, you know, it can put you in that situation in a weird spot because like, you know, alcoholism, they're still deciding on whether or not that's genetic, you know? And so for me, I worried because my dad was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And so working in a kitchen environment, I always worried when people were like, do you want to go out and get a drink after work? I'm like, eh, and like, maybe, maybe I'll go out for one. And then it's like, I'd be with people who are, by the time I'm finished with my one drink, they're on their third or fourth. And I'm like, that's "Eh." because it's like, it's not the industry, but like that's normal. I think what people don't realize is that there are a lot of people out there that have addiction issues, but it's not recognized. Right. Does that make sense? Like in the gay community, good lord. Like I'm gonna leave that there. <laughs> but even in like the straight community, like it doesn't matter who you are as a human, like there's things, habits, behaviors, patterns, and everything that it's like interesting. Well, and that's hmm. one thing that we learn. Um, you know, as you're in recovery or in treatment or whatever, is that addiction is the one illness that equally is an offender. And so, you know, it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter what your gender, it doesn't matter what your sexuality, doesn't matter your race, your class, like it impacts every community. Right. And so, you know, for us to say like, oh, well, queer people have a high, you know, a higher rate. Well, yeah, it's because we have environmental influences. It's because we maybe have traumatic influences. It's because, you know, maybe we were brought into a, a home that wasn't welcoming and affirming. And so you turn maybe to something. Maybe if the bars because... pour a heavier drink. I'm just saying. Exactly. Yeah. And so. Yes, the cantina. <laughs> Two for one happy hour. <laughs> so what. Now, going through this new one, because you've been sober for how long now? Nine months. That's awesome. It's your sober baby. Yes, yeah, I you're about to give birth. Oh, you got birth look canal. At all like you had a baby. <laughs> I, had, I had to come to the place that I was impregnated. <laughs> because nine months later, now I'm back on the podcast. Oh, that's oh my God. Yes, I know. We you planted that you. seed. <laughs> okay. And now you plant seeds in pots because you are a plant yes, mama. Yes, <laughs> full, full circle. Full circle, bitch. And like plants can make circles or something. <laughs> Roots. Okay. Or um, something. So, what would be um, some <laughs> egg whites? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, what would be some advice that you would give to people who need to go through this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to give advice, right? Because, like you were talking about, there has to be a, a recognition that you want help. Um, so, it's almost more of if. If you know somebody in your life who's struggling or if you're curious or if you worry, um, I would encourage the people who are around that person who is struggling to reach out, to have that conversation, to challenge things because it's, it can be, you know, very out in the open and it can be something that's undetectable. Um, but once I told people in my life that, you know, I'm going to get help, I'm getting treatment, they're like, yeah, I kind of felt like something was off. Mm. They couldn't quite put a finger on it. They knew that I was, like, not great, but I was showing up and I was, like, doing the things that, were you know, I was responsible for, but I just wasn't me. And so, you know, even if it's one of those things, um, you know, I, I would definitely, like, encourage people to to just, like, ask those hard questions um, because it, it can be an infringement on somebody's privacy, but it's if it's out of concern and that person maybe is on the cusp of wanting help, um, then that might be what motivates them. Um, I know for me, so the very last night of my drinking, I was planning to commit suicide. That was, I was completely hopeless. I thought that there was no, 
no reason to continue going on. Um, I thought everyone would be better off without me. I knew I was a worthless piece of shit. Like that was the only thing that I knew was true because I had over and over and over again told myself, like, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And I would fail every single day. And so finally it was just one of those nights where I had a commitment the next day. And because I was so messed up, I knew I wasn't going to be able to fulfill that commitment. And I was like, here I go again. I'm just a disappointment. And you know what? I don't want to continue disappointing people. I don't want to continue being in this place where I feel like I'm not contributing anything to society, that I'm just a burden. Um, and so, you know, I took an inventory of what was in the house and that, that was my plan. And I had reached out to my brother and to my mom because they were the ones I was planning on seeing the next day. I was going to go visit my family. And I just sent them a text and I said, I love you. I'm so, and I'm sorry. And they were like, what is going on? Like, (laughs) what do you mean? Like, what are you sorry for? And my brother called me because he's never gotten a message like that from me before. And I was just a weeping disaster of a human. And, you know, I was going and reaching for the, the pills in the medicine cabinet. And he's like, I'm, I'm coming down there right now. Like it's an hour drive and Mm -hmm. I'll be there in an hour and five minutes. And he got in his car and I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. Like, no, I'm not going to do anything. You know, I'm trying to tell like, can like it, it it was, you know, it was stupid. I'm not going to whatever. And he's like, I don't care. Like I'm coming. And I think in that moment, I knew that even if I didn't believe in myself, that I had other people that did. And so finally that gave me the permission to ask for the help that I needed. And so it's less about, because everyone's bottom is different and everyone goes through a different experience. <laughs> I know, I had to <laughs> sorry. I was like, I'm a 12 year old boy. Do it. As soon as she said that, every bottom is, I know, everybody's I was, bottom I was is like, different. Ooh. I'm like, oh God. I mean, <laughs> why do you have to say it like that? <laughs> I mean, we're in Hillcrest, so everyone's bottom is different. It's true. <laughs> so glad. Everyone's top's different. Oh, too. people are going to hate me. <laughs> no, we are w- egg whites. Yes. Well, and, you know, this is the permission that Levity. I need to, yeah, to laugh. No, but I think, um, you know, everyone hits a different different part in their journey where they're ready to get help. And so you, like, I can't encourage somebody to get help that doesn't want doesn't want it. Um, but I can say like, there's a thousand different ways. So I had the $6,000 to be able to go to treatment. And I also had insurance. And I know both of those things are privileges. You know, it's because I have a job. It's because, you know, all like I had a home to come back to, like, that's such a privilege. I had a supportive family, like that's such a privilege. So not everybody is in that situation, but there are so many resources out there, um, that I would just encourage people to either reach out to somebody that they know that's maybe in recovery or, to, you know, pick up the phone and, you know, I you can even call 911 on yourself. You know, like if you're like in that point where you just feel like tomorrow doesn't feel like it's reachable or something that you want to see, um, you know, AA, it's free. You can show up to any meeting. Like there's thousands of meetings every hour, you know, and especially now with Zoom, like it's so accessible. But I know for a long time I knew that that was there and I wasn't going to meetings because I wasn't ready to quit drinking. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's hard to give advice um, because I only know my experience and my journey, but there's so many people out there who are willing and wanting to give the help if you ask for it. Um, What surprised you about people, good or bad, when you decided, like, all all this started happening and you decided to go to rehab and take control of this um, illness. Yeah, it was definitely twofold. Um, there was always shock. There was always an element of shock of like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, what are you talking about? You need to go to rehab for what, you know? (laughs) And then there was the, well, what do you need? Like, how can we support you? Um, so, you know, at work I needed to take a leave of absence and they're like, okay, tell us when you're, when you'll be back. I was like, well, it's a 30 day program. And they're like, so do you need 60 days? Do you need 90 days? Like how many, how many days do you need in order to feel like, you know, or do you want to check in? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because most people don't have um, an employer that is that like, but again, your employer is um, some, someone who caters to the gay community. So they understand what 
this is yeah exactly about. it's like I, I work in an lgbtq publication and so we know that mental health issues are prevalent and we know that substance abuse issues are prevalent and so this is just kind of part of the culture that we've instilled in this company because it's like these are our people right you know so how do we support our people um you know and so it, like that was wonderful and relieving. And also I'm like, no, I will be here on 31 days because like yeah. I need something to do. Oh my God. You know? And then it was like my brother who came down to make sure that I didn't harm myself that night. He did not leave my side until I was checking in hmm. to rehab three days later. And so like without that, like not even coercion, not guidance, there was an intervention. It was like without that support, I could have easily changed my mind. And so I'm sorry, I forgot the question. He was so cute too. We like we had a, a a Zoom call with Veronica and Randy was there. He was like, "Hey, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." They know they know my brother just from me being around and. But yeah, so um, I forgot what the original. Oh, oh the like, support. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like you know him sit, like putting his life on hold, coming to be with. He's got two kids and oh a wife, God, yeah. and so you know, and my sister in law was wonderful because she has you know, family members who have kind of gone through a similar thing. And she's like, go be with your sister. Like, we'll be fine. Hmm. And so he could do that. You know, my, my parents, um, you know, yeah, my parents are amazing. And so cute. My dad, her dad is a DILF. (laughs) Oh, just so y'all know, her dad is a DILF. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) I think we need to pull up. We need to pull a picture. That's the title. Randy got some arms on him. He okay. does. Yeah, yeah, he does. I think my dad struggled the most with it because his mo- both of his parents were alcoholics. Really? And so he never touched alcohol his wow. entire life because he didn't want to end up like that. He didn't want to live a life like that. He, I could see the disgust that he had for his parents because of the environment that he grew up in. And I didn't want to be another that to him. So I... I think, you know, that relationship has been challenging to navigate. He's so proud of me now. Um, but I can also just, like, imagine the devastation if I were to ever pick up again. Um, but my mom, honestly, like, that relationship, you know, we've been through a, a lot as, like, a, you know, mother and daughter. Um, but the amount of just unconditional love from her, um, that, you know, it's like it it fills me up with, like a belief in myself that like, I, I don't know if I could ever get from anywhere else. Um, but the thing that makes me, I think still emotional is she told me a story about how she and my dad were walking down 16th street mall, which is, um, you know, like an outside shopping mall in Denver. And it is, there's just a lot of, um, individuals experiencing homelessness and, you know, you have a lot of mental health issues. You have a lot of um, substance abuse issues that happen in the homeless community. And they um, they were walking down there one night and my mom just started crying. And she told my dad that she was worried that I would end up there. That she's like, I, it just breaks my heart because I know she's struggling and I don't even know how much she's struggling. But, like, I couldn't imagine her being you know one of these people was this before rehab yeah okay yeah and so like hearing even stuff like that where it's like you know i i didn't understand how much people knew and so when i reached out the people who who knew that i was struggling the amount of support was just like oh my gosh yes we've been waiting for this and then the people who had no idea were like wow and yes how can we support you so i was very very lucky and like you said, that that in itself is a privilege because a lot of people don't have that kind of support structure mm-hmm, in their lives, mm-hmm. you know. So, and I'm sure it's like for your dad, just like me, you know, because my father was an alcoholic, it was like, okay, I don't want to end up like that. So I do a mental, even though I, you know, drink, I have like one or two drinks and that's it. And I know that that's my limit, you know. So I'm like, but... Like, okay, y'all saw the picture, right? Like, he's a total delf, right? Oh, yeah, Randy's cute. <laughs> Randy can get it, okay? Oh, my God. Her brother's cute, too. Wait, pull up a picture. <laughs> I'm just saying. You, I mean, Veronica's, Veronica's gorgeous. gorgeous. So, like, Her mom is so... cute. The whole family has yeah, got, you yeah. know, good genes. Who's that? 
I know. Oh, my dad. They're I so cute. I love them. All right. So um, where are you at now? Like when, because like. She's in uh, San Diego. <laughs> I'm in She's San sitting Diego, in the California. studio. I'm oh, yeah, here the, for another the, 24 hours. I'm so excited. But like, um, I mean, how are you dealing with it? And how do you want people to deal with you in Oh, I'm Respect a lot to, deal to with. this. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. a lot to deal Ask with. Ask any of my exes. Yeah. <laughs> but like, extra. <laughs> but how do you want people to deal with you in yeah. this and in, in respect to your disease? Because, like, we went and had brunch, and I'm going to treat you like I've always treated you. Like, I'm not going to um, treat you any differently, but I'm also, like, not going to put you in a situation where. Oh, we're going to go to Moe's where everybody's drinking. Like, right. I'm not going to do that, but yeah. I'm still going to have a drink in front of you. And because, you know, it's that's how I've always done being around you. Yeah. Well, and I mean, over the 10 years that we've known each other, I've been in and out of sobriety. Right. Um, and so that was always something that I requested of people I was close to is like, please don't change for me. I'll let you know what I need. So until it gets to a point where I feel uncomfortable, like I probably won't put myself in a situation where I'm just going to a bar without, you know, like there being a a meal involved or, you know, for a specific reason, like I'm not, I'm just not going to put myself there. And so I would appreciate the invitation, but like, also don't be offended if I say no. Um, But I also want the chance to advocate for myself. I don't want people to assume. So like you're saying, you know, like if I was sitting at brunch and I, and I requested that everyone don't drink because I'm there, well, maybe then I shouldn't be there you know like i need to evaluate like what my intention and my my purpose is in entering a space and you know if it's not a safe place for me then like that's my responsibility but i think in terms of you know how i want people to to work with me um i mean it's been like a hard nine months i you know i quit drinking um and with that came a lot So I realized that I had some undiagnosed mental health issues going on. So three months into sobriety, I was diagnosed as bipolar two, which is like, you know, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's a lot of like moodiness going on. There's a lot of like ups and downs with trying new medications. There's a lot of trauma that like is coming boiling to the surface that like I never dealt with because I was numbing myself out. And so, you know, I'm easily triggered. Um, you know, especially getting close to people and being intimate, like that is a, a huge struggle because, you know, I for gosh, a long time I had to be drunk in order to have sex. And so then it's like, what do I do with my girlfriend? You know, because it's like, well, now when we're intimate, then, you know, I, I know, I know, lesbians, <laughs> EO. <laughs> um, <laughs> Scissors. <laughs> That's all I know. Scissors. And I'd love to meet a lesbian who actually scissors because that shit is not easy, okay? Nor is it. That seems like a lot of work. I feel like you would pull your groin. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of core work. I pull, yeah. It's core (laughs) and other muscles. (laughs) I mean, it's not like push ups. (laughs) (laughs) But also, like, how, uh, you know, it's geometry, (laughs) angles. I mean, it could work. It could work, yeah. I mean, it came from somewhere. So, the reference, yeah. yeah. Just because a term exists means it's legit. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, so Oh, yeah. But I mean, you know, so just in in terms of like understanding how I navigate the world, like that's completely changing. And so like I just need permission to to change. You know, I think that like when we're talking about the stigmatization of it and we're talking about like acceptability of, you know, saying like I'm a queer person, well, I also have to say that like it has to be acceptable that i'm an alcoholic in recovery so like you feel like you have to come out again oh absolutely like this is another form of coming out yeah because not only do you have you tell people that you're queer and lesbian but like now you have this other thing that you can't you don't want to hide from someone but needs to be said oh absolutely yeah and it's like it's kind of one of those situations so i'm also you know a very straight passing person um, in the community. And so like, sometimes that's just a part of the conversation I don't want to talk about, you know, that it's like, a, it's just, it's extra work. Right. So it's like, it doesn't matter what my sexuality is. If like, that's not something that you and I need to discuss. So like, 
okay, put that aside. So same thing with like my addiction, you know, that it's like, I'm open about it. And, you know, I like to talk about my recovery and I actually write a lot about it um, for Outfront Magazine and then also for Treatment Magazine because it's good for me to be able to tell my story, not only for other people, but to remind myself of how bad it got. A lot of people, when you're dealing with illness in general, whether it's, you know, alcoholism or like with Andy's prostate cancer, it's like, I feel like, you know, you're still coming out with that too. And it's like having to tell people. So it's like, you always worry about what their reaction is going to be. So I'm going to pivot for a second because like you are also on a podcast. You co-host a podcast. Now, did Have you talked about this on your podcast uh, for Outfront Magazine? Yeah. So that was something actually after recording here, I was like, that was really fun. I think I want to try, you know, co-hosting something. So I don't, I don't talk a lot about it. Um, mostly just because that's not the topic at hand. Okay. Um, but we did have the mental health issue that like um, we dove a lot into that topic. And so for the month of May, because it's mental health awareness month, um, that was kind of like what we centered on. And so my co-host and I, we just shared a lot about our, our journey through mental health. And then also I shared about my, my substance abuse issues. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things that in the beginning, I, I didn't really want to be so forthcoming. The people in my life who knew, knew, um, but then I also felt like I was really missing this opportunity to connect with people and to share part of my story and to stand in my authenticity and be vulnerable because that's really what I felt like I was lacking before was, you know, I was so like hiding who I was, um, that I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, like it's like, it's all or nothing. And, you know, if you're not going to support me in this journey, then like, you don't need to be in my life. Mm -hmm. So everybody gets a chance to know. And yeah, it's like coming out all over again, but yeah, like I, I want to have the conversation now. If you can't hand handle me at my chicken burrito, you can't handle me at my, with the extra guac. Okay. <laughs> you know, that old, that old saying. That work? Is like, what? Is that a thing? <laughs> it's like a Chipotle thing. <laughs> you I know mean, how guac is extra? Yeah. Okay. Forget it. <laughs> we can edit that out later. <laughs> So, like, what is your podcast? What is your podcast? <laughs> Karma, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> what is the podcast that you do called? It's called the OFM Podcast. Oh, we'll see. Yeah. We're cross-pollinating here. Yeah. We are. We're cross-breeding. Oh. oh. <laughs> Scissors. So, um, so, we just want to wrap up, and, and is yeah. there anything else that you'd like to say to people out there? Any resources that people can reach out to if they feel like they're struggling? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so there's, um, you know, like I said, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so there's always meetings everywhere. You can Google AA and then, you know, there's just like so many. But there's so many 12-step programs. So whether it's, you know, cocaine addiction, it's methamphetamine, it's um, a cross-pollination of multiple kinds of um, addictions, that's always an incredible resource to find people who are struggling like you who have been through what you've been through and can help you come out on the other side um and then also out front um or ofm the magazine that i work for we do a lot of work with envision you which is a colorado initiative that's helping bridge the gap between clinicians and the lgbtq community when it comes to mental health and substance abuse issues so they go and basically train clinicians on how to properly serve our community. So whether it's improving language, um, whether it's improving, you know, affirming practices, whether it's just creating some, some extra education and guidance on what it's like, you know, to go through substance abuse or mental health conditions, um, you know, and, and not have to be the person as a queer person having to educate your provider that they're coming in with knowledge on, on how unique our community is. Um, and so they have just a ton of resources because they've, you know, worked with so many um, different organizations and, and um, you know, places that provide those services. So envision you, that's another incredible place that I would recommend. And then treatment magazine, that's more like on the the other end of things. If you're curious about addiction or like want to read stories about, um, you know, what these kinds of topics are that we talk about, then that's another place that I would recommend treatment magazine. 
I also want to say this is not related, but like when your face is behind the microphone, it looks like you have on an eye patch. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. But it's no, I've been thinking this the whole time you've been talking, and I was like, she's like a pirate, and it's super cool. Are you having a good time? <laughs> oh, she walked the plunge. Whatever That's would like kind of bring whatever would bring like a cool factor. I don't know. I feel like you know, like an eye your patch kind of brings a cool, cool factor. Okay, extra. I don't need an eye patch. So. I really want to thank you because, like, you're a friend, you're, like, family, and I thank you for coming on and talking about this and being so brave and being so open and honest about your journey and where you're at and where you're going and where you've been and all that. That's amazing to me. So thank you for being here and doing this. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for asking. I love you, you too. (laughs) I just, you know, I... I know that this is not a topic that necessarily translates well, um, you know, and so having these conversations, being able to to talk about the nuance and, you know, the struggle and the like, the beginning and the end and the journey, um, podcasting is just such an incredible format, I think, in doing that. And so I thank you for using your platform to have these conversations. Well, even if only one person takes away something, then we... You know, that's a win in my book. Yeah, I mean, if you are out there and you're dealing with... Or you know somebody. Or you know somebody who may be dealing with some form of addiction, um, please like do some homework or just try to get them help. If you don't have yeah. the privilege of being able to do the homework, try to get them help as much as you can um, or try to get yourself help. Like That's the biggest thing that we want is for you to still be here because you mm-hmm. are a beautiful being. And you deserve to be here and people deserve to get to know you and get to love you and you get to love yourself. So um, do you have anything else, Joe? I do not. That was like a really, you know, you said same. (laughs) Hashtag same. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Special thanks to Andrew Smith and Nick Stone for producing the show. If you like us, please follow us at TUGazePod on Instagram and visit us online at TUGazePod.com. You can find us anywhere you can stream podcasts. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and let us know topics you'd like to hear. And always remember, stay safe, stay classy, stay sassy, and always stay a little bit trashy. See you next week.